episode of Generation Net Zero, a podcast created by Leading Change to share the stories of what it's like being a young person working in sustainability, while also dealing with numerous challenges, including, but not limited to, imposter syndrome, eco-anxiety, and career uncertainty. On this episode, Emily and I are joined by Leading Change alumni, Corey Maddy, a founding partner of Indigenous Treaty Partners. ITP offers Indigenous cultural training and consulting to position organizations to be better and more effective allies. Corey shares his work with us and some opportunities in the East that he's really excited about. He also shares some tidbits of advice for any young folks who are interested in starting a career in sustainability. We hope you enjoyed this episode. This season of Generation Net Zero is brought to you by CN. Getting over 300 million tons of freight to market and powering the North American economy takes a lot. It takes resilience and focus from a team of over 23,000 dedicated railroaders. It takes partnerships between CN, communities, and their young leaders to reduce our environmental footprint and inspire the next generation to do the same. It takes a vision and care for one another. It takes all of us together into a more sustainable future. Find out more about CN's commitment to the environment at cn.ca. Awesome. Very, very good. Okay, well, let's get started. Uh, Our first question, which we always ask, is uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself um, and how you got involved in the work that you do? Yeah, so uh, my name is Corey Maddy. I am Mi'kmaq settler, and this is a word we're starting to hear more in organizations. What it simply means is I am uh, Indigenous, in my part, British and French, which is pretty common here in Atlantic Canada. We were the first area to meet the Europeans, so we've been we've been colonized for quite some time, and uh, you know uniquely here in Atlantic Canada is we actually had a good relationship for about a hundred or so years with the Europeans. That relationship spoiled over time, but uh, a big work that I do and the organization that I've co-founded, it's really about bringing people back to that, to that relationship where we had, where where industry and and indigenous peoples used to get along. Um, Went to business school and then went to uh, move to the small town of Toronto where I continued education and did some really great work in Toronto uh, doing indigenous call uh, indigenous consulting and indigenous aware uh, cultural awareness training and then I moved back to beautiful uh, Mi'kma'ki or uh, here in Halifax and um, there was a big gap where there was no one really doing indigenous cultural awareness training or indigenous consulting so me and a good friend of mine Houston Barnaby had started a company doing just that and because we're supporting organizations in working with indigenous peoples there's a lot of environmental and energy um, synergies that happen there because indigenous peoples we are of the land and resources are also in the land so there's a there's a really good connection there and and i really enjoy you know supporting all parties and working in a good way to see canada best use its resources that that we have available to us yeah, absolutely. I, um, it's very, very interesting getting to to speak to uh, you know different folks and and how they come into the environmental space. Uh, you know, usually 
uh, because we have such a variety of backgrounds uh, from our guests, it's really interesting to hear uh, where that personal connection kind of first started from. And um, so, yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, Emily, go for it. Yeah, thanks so much, Corey. Um, I think as part of the podcast, we're also been trying to share more about the types of careers young people uh, who are interested in sustainability are um, currently in. So uh, do you think you could share a bit about uh, what your current work is like and maybe what an average day um, of your job is like? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so as a young entrepreneur, a budding entrepreneur of a, of a startup, essentially, it's very much um, eat what we kill. I know it's not the best way to say it, but in order to keep the lights on, we got to keep cash flow coming in. Um, so average day is really hustling for, for opportunity. What's really great is there's a lot of opportunity out there, especially in Atlantic Canada in the energy space. We have green hydrogen coming online. We have lots of wind coming online. Our grid here in Nova Scotia on any given day is between 60, 50, 40% coal. So there's a lot of work that organizations like Efficiency Nova Scotia, the Clean Foundation and, and others, the municipalities and governments are, there, there's a lot of initiatives trying to better green our grid. And due to that, they're really working with organizations like ours and other organizations really trying to support, um, you know, climate change goals and, renewable energy goals and targets. So we're really kind of looking for those opportunities. And we're also working with organizations who are also looking at those opportunities to ensure that they're able to be successful. And how we do that is help them further indigenize their organization to, uh, to support the greater market. So a lot of emails. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I definitely know what that's like. Um, just I want to follow up on that a little bit. What is that? What does that really mean? Like to indigenize operations? Uh, could you walk us through a little bit more about yeah. that? That's a really great question. Um, so there's a lot of management practices. There's a lot of ways of getting along that businesses are starting to employ now that are actually more indigenous ways of getting along. So for instance, um, there's a lot of engineering techniques to project management that we may use. Um, all of them, of course, are escaping me. Uh, but um, indigenous peoples, we really think about, you know, consensus building and programs. We really think a lot about the seven grandfather teachings like love, um, trust, courage, and stuff. So bringing that into play. Seven generational thinking, that's an important one. And also here in Mi'kma'ki, we have two-wide seeing. So we help organizations bring those different ways of doing, of doing things to their organizational structure. And especially with energy projects and environmental projects, if you bring these indigenous ways of being into your organization, chances are your project is going to be far more sustainable than the systems we're using now, like capitalism. So we help organizations bring in those of different ways of, of, of knowing and being. Yeah, that's, that's really fascinating. Um, and kind of a, just another follow-up there. Do you find that... Um, that there's more of sort of an openness or a willingness 
to to actually uh, adopt some of these practices? Like, do you feel like you're getting less? I don't know if pushback is the right word or or what, but uh, there's more of an appetite maybe mm-hmm. um, from businesses to to adopt some yeah. of these alternative practices or ways of seeing things. That's a good question. Um, it's been pretty good so far. I mean, the organizations reach out to us, so they're already kind of interested to begin with. Um, also, especially with energy projects and the like, they they know that they need to work with Indigenous communities. They, they should anyway, and of course they want to. They're, they're allies in supporting Indigenous peoples regardless. But the more Indigenized that they can become, the better that they'll be able to do projects with those Indigenous communities. Um, but the response has been really positive um, and, and surprisingly positive as well. So we're, we're quite happy. Awesome. Uh, that's great. Um, so for, for many, uh, many listeners of the podcast, they're young people and they're curious about having a career uh, in the space or learning about, you know, for example, how to help, uh, organizations, uh, do things a little bit more sustainably or things like that. So for young people who are, are wanting to enter this space, um, what sort of barriers to entry have you seen, um, that make it a little bit more challenging, uh, for them to get started, maybe from your perspective, you know, wanting to start your own thing. Um, and then, you know, on the flip side of that, uh, what opportunities um, are there for for people who are curious or enthusiastic about uh, making a difference? Yeah, that's that's such a great question. Um, uh, it took me a while to to really get a good job. It, it'll take a lot of people a lot of time to get a job, but I think it's it's okay to recognize it. It's going to take time. When I first graduated, I was like, I'm going to get uh, an 80k job right out of graduation because I'm great. Yeah, you you are great. There's also a lot of other great people, so you have to you have to stand out of the pack. So, man, I I went to every networking event I could go to, and especially the expensive ones because the ticket price usually will weed out a lot of students try not to go to events where other students are going to be so for the really expensive ticket price ones the networking events i would volunteer and then usually they'll just let you kind of go around and that's great so i would do that i even went as far as sneaking into the bathroom of one of the events like hours early and i was in a suit and tie and then when the event started i left the bathroom i didn't smell great i had to you know bring some cologne because i was in the bathroom for a while but i mean these are the things you have to do um and then you do that and then you start to network with people um some really interesting people also finding a mentor is is really important because that mentor will connect you to other people but you have to ask and don't be afraid to ask i mean people you generally want to help they just don't get asked very often because people are shy to ask for help and asking for help is not a weakness it's it's a you know it, it's showing that you're you're involved and interested to to better yourself and people will want to support you um so going to networking events mentoring getting mentorship and then lastly, is to try to continue education. Like once you graduate from your bachelor's, that just does not cut it anymore. You have to get other. And the other does not need to be expensive university. If there's so many other ways that you can learn through things, what I would do is I would go 
I would go to different um, continuing ed schools and type in subjects. And then I would do those certificates. And those usually didn't cost too much. And they have really nice shiny, shiny names attached to really expensive sounding schools, which is great. Um, but you can also get education through volunteering. There's, there's, there's lots of other ways and, and really showcase that to organizations. So those are probably the three things that, that really helped me uh, find, find a job. Um, good to know about the hiding in the bathroom trick. I have definitely not tried that one yet. <laughs> well, if, any, if anyone's ever, uh, I think it was the, the Marriott Eaton Center. So if there's any, if there's ever a big expensive event there, you, you may see me in the bathroom beside you. So, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, kind of along that vein though, of like, Obviously, I think maybe it wasn't easy uh, to find these events or kind of make time and uh, have the energy to attend all these events, as well as um, I know you mentioned a bit of how your work right now is uh, just a lot of emails um, and kind of a hustle every day. So um, what would you say kind of keeps you motivated, inspired to uh, keep doing the work that you're doing? Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 hard to find energy. Um, you know, there there are days that I do not want to go to this event. There are days I don't want to go to the gym. But I, I have to believe that there's someone that's just like me that's gonna work a little bit harder and I have to get ahead of that person. So that was kind of my my drive. I mean, I was I was not the smartest kid in school. I got C's mostly through university, not the brightest kid. But I knew that I could hustle. I knew that I had a lot of energy and you just almost become a monk. You just accept that you have to do this work hard and, and get it done because it will pay off. It has to pay off. You just have to do it and you have to work harder than the next person. Um, often at these events, I mean, when I was living in Toronto, I was, I was, I was, I was broke. So I would actually bring a backpack with Tupperware and I would go to these events at the very end. I would, you know, so I had, I had something to eat. So I, you know, he just going to make it a way of life. You know, if, if someone is able to go to school for all that time and study, you are, you know, that, there's a lot of time that you, that you spend being a student. You have to spend that same amount of time networking once you're, you know, once you graduated, you know, it's, it's not like sitting on the couch and applying to jobs that that's not the way we do it anymore. So yeah, it, it becomes your full-time job is networking and going to events and it's fun. You'll, you'll learn a lot and you'll meet a really cool people and you might even get some food out of it. So yeah, absolutely. Um, it's definitely something that we uh, we tell uh, people, especially those people who are new to the leading change community, right? Like networking. Uh, I'm sure you've probably heard it, um, you know, throughout your your time at school. People tell you about networking and that it's important, and uh, you probably hear it so much that it becomes a kind of a cliche, and you sort of ignore it. But um, I mean, the amount of times that I've heard from different people that they got their jobs through networking, it's like, well. I mean, it does work. It really does work. And if your if your resume is next to somebody else's, but they've got a little bit of that name recognition because they met you at an event, or or it was you know passed forward to them through a common contact, things like that. It's uh, like you kind of said, like looking for these little things to help distinguish you from the next person. Um, you know, there's uh, there's definitely a competition out there, and so finding yeah. ways to uh, diversify or uh, make yourself a little bit uh, different from the other people exactly. can really be helpful. Yeah. yeah. 
Because for me, I was not a grades person. So I knew if someone was looking at GPA or grades or acumen, I was, I was not going to get it over that person. Right. So I had to, I had to know the person. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so kind of a similar kind of thing when, when you're talking about this, this hustle kind of energy or, or finding ways to, uh, to get yourself out there, um, you know, for some of some of the folks in the community, um, it's really difficult for them. They they kind of carry this sort of burden of of uh, the scale of the challenges, especially that I think that we're looking at, and uh, you know, things like the mental health in general, or specifically the more eco anxiety and eco grief. Uh, so, how do you think about these kind of subjects, and how do you manage it? I know you mentioned going to the gym earlier. Um, but yeah, how do you think about this? How do you balance sort of the scale of these issues and uh, keep your own sort of mental health uh, in a good place? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, mental health is so important. I mean, I would not be able to do this job if if I meant you know mentally was not not well. And over the pandemic, I started getting anxiety. I never had anxiety before. I thought every time I was having a panic attack, I was having a heart attack. So, you know, that was just crazy. So, I mean, it's fine if you get to see people. It's fine if you need to take some medication. You know, there's no problem there. You know, people gonna gonna survive and, and keep going. So, no problem there. So, if you need it, do it. I mean, life moves ahead, life moves forward. So shall we, um, as far as, um, you know, eco anxiety and eco grief, I've always been on the different side of this. I, I really truly believe that, and probably wrongfully do I believe that that government business industry, people will be able to, to somehow, some way fix this. I, I really hope so. Like, look at what we did with the ozone. You know, that's, there's, there's, you know, a very small, simple, but great example of, um, here in Atlanta, Canada, there are some incredible green hydrogen companies that are going to do some amazing stuff here. And this is, you know, I mean, I mean, it's not new technology, but the scale that they're doing it, you know, was quite hard to believe. So I believe that there's lots of new technology coming out. There's 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 financial interest in seeing these technologies comes through that I like to believe that we'll figure this out. We have to, you know, we wouldn't all be on this call if, you know, we didn't think that by us doing this and speaking about this, we are going to solve this because what a depressing place to work and live if you know we're doing all this hard work knowing that we're not going to be successful. So I think deep down inside, we think that we can do this. And maybe that's my way of getting through life to know that we can do this. So I actually never thought about that, but I, uh, I guess my cope is just to be very optimistic. Yeah, no, I, you know, it's, it's funny. I, I think I share quite uh, quite a lot um, with you in that regard. I have maybe a, a misplaced optimism, but uh, it's just my orientation, and I and I think that there is absolutely a possibility for us to turn things around, and and also um, that you know nature wants to work with us. You know, if we can kind of do things a, a little bit differently and find a way to uh, sort of integrate some of these principles that exist in nature. Um, you know, in the same way that you cut your arm and your body heals itself, like nature can heal itself too. It just, uh, that's its orientation, right? So that's sort of how I feel about this kind of stuff too. And, um, just, just a curious, curious question from my point of view, um, is there one thing in particular 
that you're really excited about in terms of technology or um, maybe it's policy or anything like this, like something that really, uh, when you look at that, you're like, okay, I can really see some, some progress being made, uh, or this is a, a great potential for some, from some change to happen. Yeah. So, um, there's a company here in Atlanta, Canada called Everwind Fuels. They're doing some really cool stuff with hydrogen. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what comes with that. Um, energy storage. I really think energy storage, once this technology becomes, um, more cost effective, will change the game. It's, it's a disruptor. It's cool. It has a lot of money that's being invested into it already. Like um, Enerstore just got that huge um, energy storage there in central Canada. And so I, I, I think that this is an industry that's really going to blow up um, and is really going to change the way that we think about the energy grid. At least here in Nova Scotia, we're 60, 50, 40% coal. I think energy storage coupled with our robust renewable energy sources are really going to change the game. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, and also microgrids. I think that this is something that has not been too invested in and developed in Canada. And I feel that once microgrids coupled with all those other types of fuels and storage are really going to, uh, you know, be a big game changer, both from a financial point of view, because there's a lot of money to be made in it, but also from a greening the grid and protecting the grid um, will be will be a big changer. So that's, that's what I'm looking at right now. Okay, um, I guess you can speak maybe Atlantic Canada in particular, or maybe in general, um, you talked about uh, this like optimism you feel about the future and uh, how do you see young people or yourself and your work kind of fitting into this transition that we are um, hoping and will, should see in um, the next decade or so? Yeah, I think I think young people and youth have a lot to play. I mean, we are inheriting this world. We will be inheriting this energy system. Um, so we have, you know, it's it's ours and it's it's our turn to to play but it's also our turn to uh you know um learn from our elders and learn from the people who've who've built this and you know i think we have to respect the the old dogs and cats that have been in place because we have a lot to learn from them i, I you know I, there's definitely a place for the youth but you know in indigenous communities we 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 have to learn from our elders so i think that we need to give more respect to to those people who are retiring because there's lots of knowledge sharing that needs to happen. Um, but, you know, back, back to the youth piece, certainly the uh, building science is becoming far more technical than it has in the past. Um, the energy grid is becoming far more technical than it has in the past. Uh, sources of how we create energy is becoming far more technical than it has in the past and youth are very tech very smart and i think that we need that that resource if we want to have a a sustainable world but again we need our elders to provide us knowledge and where we've come from because without it we won't be able to get too far without them yeah 100 percent. i think uh 
Uh, well, we're just going to be having a, a conversation in the next couple of days. This is for those listening. This is right before our conference. And uh, on the opening plenary, we'll be having a how to have uh, an intergenerational conversation or uh, kind of just digging into, you know, why is this something that we should talk about? Why is it important? Um, and what can we learn from each other? And I think, as you as you said very well, um, those of us who have been around the block do have a lot of wisdom um, that they can share uh, with with young people. And young people have a lot of technical information and, and know-how and savvy uh, about how the, the world is shaping, how things are changing, how technology is evolving. And, and so really bridging those two, uh, those two skill sets, if you want to call them that, uh, I think is is incredibly important for us going forward. So for yourself, uh, you know, as you get older, maybe the next 10 years or so, um, how do you see your work evolving? How do you see, uh, you know, things changing for yourself? Uh, maybe it's more of the same and just, uh, you know, broadening the, sort of the the reach that you have or or things like that. But yeah, what, what do you see is uh, in your future? Yeah. Well, myself and my team, we travel all across Canada and now into the States providing, you know, Indigenous teachings, Indigenous knowledge sharing, um, because it doesn't really exist too much in our, at least when I went to school, it wasn't in our grade schools. Um, so hopefully in the next 10 years, this, the knowledge, the, the real history of Canada and how to work together with Indigenous peoples will be just be common knowledge. Yeah. And I won't have to do this job anymore. And then I'll, I can retire. So that, that'd be great. Um, but I'm really hoping to personally invest um, my time and energy and assets into greening the grid. Um, so I'm really looking forward to um, seeing youth, younger people. I like to think of myself as young still. Um, seeing people like us having the opportunity and the financial means to start using our capital and investing into what our grid and how we energize that grid, uh, being able to participate in that, in that space. So that's what I'm looking forward to. Yeah. That's, I, I just want to, I want to kind of dig in a little bit deeper into sort of this specific aspect of greening the grid, because I think it's a it's a really interesting topic and um, and one that we probably don't spend enough time talking about. I think a lot of people understand that, okay, the way that we're getting energy, the way that we're generating energy uh, is not sustainable, but I, I think that there's still a, a little bit of, um, like, how do we actually change? How do we actually get to a place that is a little bit more sustainable and you mentioned some technologies and things like that but uh what's what's the approach that you see as 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 most uh, effective maybe is it kind of uh you know federal government making resources available so that communities can uh you know start uh, you know introducing some of these microgrids and things like that uh, is it is it more private public partnerships like what do you, what do you think is is sort of the way that we can kind of get there oh my and man, if, if I knew the answer, I'd be a, I'd be a very well-off man. Um, I, I think that for every province, there's a different, different way. But what certainly wouldn't hurt is if everyone was more. I think if, I think we need to speak to our government, our politicians more. I think that's step one, because there's a lot of 
power in the pen and how these things are changed and how, how energy acts are changed or how efficiency measures are changed. So I think if people are just more vocal and what they want to see, how they want to see their world look like, I think that's a good start. But as for, uh, you know, a magic wand to changing a policy or changing an organizational structure, I, I have no idea. Uh, do you do any sort of, um, what's the word, uh, lobbying or anything like that? Uh, do you have conversations with politicians? Um, yeah, anything yeah, like yeah. That? yeah. Yeah, certainly conversations with politicians. I don't personally lobby, but I mean, as a as a Canadian and someone who pays taxes, I like to you know talk to people, politicians. They have to listen to me. Yeah. Um, but what I mean, they all they're all really good talkers, and they all really care. They all care about the environment. They all care about the environment. They certainly and I and I believe that when when I engage in conversations with them, because it's their country too, it's their environment too, and it's an environment that they're going to be, you know. Get to their children or to their children's children. So I think we're all advocates of the environment. Um, yeah, it's a good question though. And I think by you simply asking that question um, is important because it, it, now it's causing me to think and I've never been asked that question. So then hopefully people that are listening to this question will be like, that's a hard question. You know, we should, we should be asking these questions more. So I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, it is a really difficult question. And, um, you know, I, I think for, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of young people are just overwhelmed by the scale of the problem, right? So I think for us, being able to ask some of these questions, but trying to work backwards from where do we want to get to? And what are some of the barriers that we have in our way, then, you know, maybe that can help us be more effective advocates, um, or workers or whatever else, whatever our own spheres of influence are. Um, yeah, uh, Emily. Um, I just want to add on to that. Actually, uh, we had we've been I think from past episodes we chatted a bit about like young people being more engaged. I think in these processes, and um, I don't know, Corey, if you have any experiences or um, something you might want to share from uh, engaging in uh, whether it's like with politics or. Uh, making space for young people kind of in these kind of decision-making processes. Yeah. Um, so some organizations now are starting to prepare or organize youth advisory boards or just advisory boards in general. And if it's not an advisory board, organizations want young board of directors, even if it's like a volunteer group for a, for a charity. I think it's really important for youth to start getting on these boards, youth advisory boards or board of directors, because it does a few things. It brings the youth voice, which is very important to organizations. A more diverse board is a more effective board. So that's one. But personally, it also provides that young person um, governance experience. And then that person will only be able to be more effective on the next board and the next board. And the more youth voices we have, we're then bringing up that very hard question that Bo asked me that I was not able to answer because then the youth start bringing in their priorities to an organization. And, you know, there's a lot of boards with a lot of more senior people and that's fine because we really need those people in these positions because that's what elders do. They provide great governance, but they also need, the boards also need 
the youth voice. So um, I think if youth can be more involved in their community governance and, and any governance, it's really, really, really important to do. Um, outside of that is to volunteer. Uh, volunteering, you'll get good skills, you'll learn something, it looks great on a resume. Um, you know, you, you may even network with some people, um, but it's getting out there, getting active and, and uh, being a member of, of community. Yeah, that's, uh, that's great advice. Uh, much appreciated. Before we wrap up, uh, we've been asking a lot of our, our guests about where they find joy uh, and how they get some of that experience, how they introduce it um, as a regular part of their life, because I think that somehow, uh, I don't know if you share this, but certainly for me, um, sort of those regular touch points of experiencing joy in my life seem to somehow disappear as I grew up. And, and so I've had to be a lot more intentional about making space for that. Um, so for you, how do you find those moments of uh, magic, of um, you know, experiencing pleasure and joy and things like that to kind of keep you uh, going? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, with our organization, Indigenous Treaty Partners, we have a scholarship. And, and we have to work really hard to put money into that scholarship. But then when we are able to provide that money out to a, to a young award recipient, it's a great feeling. And it makes all that hard work incredibly worth it. Right. So that's really cool. And that, that gives me motivation and drive to, to do this work. Also, when we have a client that works with the community to see a successful project that maybe wouldn't have been successful if we hadn't have, um, provide some knowledge sharing, that's really cool because then we're then seeing a project that's an environmental project moving ahead. And then I know that our organization is supporting reconciliation supporting economic reconciliation, but also supporting the environment. And I mean, as the business owner, when we get paid, that's a great feeling too, because then I'm able to keep the lights on and maybe I'm not eating stir fry that night. So that's what keeps me going. Yeah, I hear you. Um, no shade to all the stir fry uh, lovers out there. Uh, I'm a big fan of stir fry too. But... Hey, I'm, I'm working on one right now. There we go. See Brilliant, brilliant. Well, that's uh, that sort of covers all the. Actually, before uh, before we kind of wrap up, I want to follow up on this on this joy question because um, th those are are great answers certainly, and I think um, you know in in this in this work that we do as well, I think we both Emily and myself get a lot of pleasure and joy out of uh, you know running our programs and seeing and, and seeing people um, grow from them uh, and, and getting feedback and things like that. Um, but there's also a, you know, like a more personal side to, uh, to this, like for me, I, I love music and, um, you know, so playing guitar or playing piano, something like that is something that I, I also do on a regular basis to kind of, uh, um, uh, stay sane if you want to call it that. But, um, so yeah, what about, what about you in terms of like on a personal level, um, you know, what sort of things that do you do in your life to, uh, to bring you to that place? Oh, I'm going to disappoint you, man. I mean, as an entrepreneur, 
Yeah, it's, it's like your whole life. It's work because I truly believe that at some day I'll be able to retire well and, 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 you know, maybe have a nice house on a lake and then I'll, and then that's where the happiness will, will. so not to say I'm not happy. Sorry. I misspoke. That's where, that's where all this hard work will, 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 will pay off. But I mean, entrepreneurs, we're, we're a, we're a weird species of people and uh, not the healthiest species of people. I assure you that, but um, that's just the lifestyle. And I just happen to love it. So, yeah. Well, that's, I mean, all more power to you if it's, uh, if it's not something that, um, you know, is, is draining you of energy, but is bringing you energy, then that's, mm. that's amazing. That's brilliant. Uh, and, uh, if we can have more folks like that, I think that'll really do well for us. Uh, I love the idea of having a house on the lake or cabin on the lake and, and, and something like that in the future. So best of luck. Uh, I hope that works out for you. And, uh, are you, are you a fisher? Do you fish? I fish not yeah. well, but I fish. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Okay, I think that uh, that brings us to the end. Do you have any sort of final words that you might want to give to our audience? Um, the last thing I can say is for people to learn about the treaties, learn about the real history of Canada, and um, be a participant in community and attend powwows. And I mean, Canada is becoming far more indigenous, and it's, it's a, and and I think all people should be um, allies for indigenous people. So that that's one thing I'd, I'd love to end on. Brilliant. Thank you, Corey. Absolutely. Um, if you've got any uh, links or things like that, that you'd like us to share with the audience, we can include those in the show notes um, so that people can find some more information, both about yourself uh, and about the history of uh, the true history of this country that we call Canada, um, as well as, you know, what does it mean to, to be a better ally? Uh, I think that's a question that many of us are all asking ourselves these days. So thank you for bringing that up. And uh, thank you for being a guest. I really appreciate the conversation. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks for listening and for your continued support of Generation Net Zero. I want to thank Corey again for joining us and for the conversation. Subscribe on your favorite podcatcher for new episodes. And as always, feel free to reach out to us at Leading Chain CA everywhere if you have some feedback. Till next time.